Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. All right, well, hey, welcome uh, this morning to Lighthouse Community. Glad you guys are here. I uh, do want to welcome everybody here in the house, especially all of our guests who are here. And if you're joining us, maybe you're at Bluffton Community, you're on the Fostoria launch team, or you're at Lighthouse Online, thanks for being with us today as well. Uh, my name is Fritz. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I'm super glad you're with us today. Um, I do want to add just a couple of things. Don, you know, everything Don said there is right on. And, and this campaign really is, uh, it's about people. Right? That, that, that's what this is about. This, and we've always been about people. And we've been about uh, the Lord um, you know, interacting and, and putting the gospel in front of people very clearly. Uh, it's been amazing. I've had some friends who have traveled here. They kind of live in a you know, couple-hour radius away, but they've come and they've been a part of our church here and um, just expressed how they just see God doing remarkable things here. Literally this morning... Um, in uh, our first service, I had a, a young woman from the Uni- University of Finley. She was here for the very first time. She came up to me after the service, and she said, I need to tell you something. Um, God is in this place. <laughs> I was like, tell me more, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and she's like, I, my friends and I came here today, and we, were, we have not been so warmly welcomed like this before. And during the times of prayer and the music and the teaching, we have just sensed God in this place. And I'm telling you, right? She's like a early 20s, and she's like, I'm telling you, God's moving in this place. And uh, and she prayed for our church family specifically this morning, and it was such a thoughtful prayer. And uh, so, when people are here, right? And, and it's it's not like again, we're not doing anything crazy like uh, on the cutting edge or whatever. It, we're just trying to put scripture really plainly in front of people and make it accessible and, and keep the gospel at the forefront. And, and just what God is doing here is special. And, and I want you to imagine for a moment, right? You're like going to your favorite place you like to go to and you get to the parking lot and it's full. And you take a little while to find a parking space or you got to park really far away. And then by the time you make it in the building and you get in the room, it's like there's not really very many seats available and I find one after the music is going and, and there it is. And, and, and by the time you sit down thinking about your parking, trying to find your space and getting set up and whatever, what are you thinking about? Yeah, you're probably not thinking about the gospel, right? And so... When, what we're talking about with this new ministry center is we're talking about removing barriers to the gospel. Uh, we're talking about opening the doors here even wider than we have already uh, for the many people that we know, right? Our family, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, the people we go to school with, right? To say, hey, there's, there's place for you here, right? There's a place for you here to engage the scriptures and it takes steps of growth. So uh, I would echo what Don says, man, please continue praying. Um, join in on the 40 days of prayer. Uh, stick around, you know, get around one of these posters, uh, point to things, touch it. It's very nice. Uh, you know, uh, ask questions. Um, all of those things will be great. And let's keep helping people say yes to Jesus' leadership in their lives. Because that, that's what we do here, right? That's uh, more than anything, that's what we do. So um, when, when I was in university, Uh, I went on an inner city mission trip to Los Angeles. And so for 10 days, uh, a group of us, about 10 of us, we uh, engaged in urban missions. And where we went, uh, one day, we went to go see Skid Row. And I know some of you guys are going, oh, not the 80s hair metal band, okay? I know some of you guys are like, really? Oh, what was it like? Uh, No, not them. Skid Row, which is the dead center of Los Angeles, it's a 15-block radius in the dead center, 
where 85,000 homeless people live, okay? Uh, I never knew places like that uh, existed in uh, our country until I, I went there. Um, it, was, uh, it was eye-opening, to say the very least. Well, as, as our group of 10 young people were walking down one of the streets, we're getting a tour of Skid Row and, and looking, um, we started to cross over an alley, and about, uh, I don't know, maybe 75, 100 feet <clears throat> down the alley, there was another group of young people. And that group saw our group and began to yell kind of threatening things to us. And our guide, who was walking us through, said, um, they think that you are LAPD cadets getting uh, your tour of Skid Row, because everybody, uh, all the cadets, gets their tour, and that's what they, they think you're that group. And so I could feel, right, the tension begin to rise. I could sense the insecurities among the group begin to develop, right? Because it's like, we're, we're not training to become, you know, LAP to get us. We're training to become pastors, right? Like, that's, you know, like, uh, we, can, we can pray, uh, you know, but that's, that, that's about it. And so um, everyone is kind of, you can tell everybody's kind of figuring out, what are we going to do? What, what might be the plan B if something, or what might the plan be if something goes down? Um, all of that. And so me being the loud introvert that I am, I kind of blurted out my plan. And I said, hey, listen, uh, if something goes down, um, I love you guys, but I'm shouting stuff in Spanish, I'm throwing punches on you guys, and I'm out of here, right? Because <laughs> I blend. <laughs> I blend. You don't blend. <laughs> uh, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, it's amazing what we'll do when we feel insecure, right? Um, uh, and, and insecurity comes when we're overwhelmed with doubts, uh, insecurity wells up when we, when we feel exposed to danger. Um, when we're insecure, we actually will start making decisions that are out of character for us, right? Uh, when we're feeling insecure, we move into defense mode. Uh, we're very fearful of other people's judgment uh, towards us or against us. Um, we, uh, we'll begin resisting meet, meeting new people, right? Um, and, and insecure people tend to never feel good enough and they're always trying to prove themselves to whoever they're with and around, right? And so insecurity can well up in a moment like it did the day I was on Skid Row with some of my friends because, you know, I, I was, I'm going to be honest with you, I was afraid of those guys, right? Um, I was not interested in meeting new people in that moment, right? Um, it's not normal. I don't normally beat up my friends and run away, okay? So that's not, um, but I was feeling insecure, and so insecurity can last for a moment, but also insecurity can end up becoming a way of life. And you start living out your day-to-day, overwhelmed with insecurity. And, and for me, growing up, I, I rarely felt good enough uh, wherever I was. And so I tried to fight that and remedy that. And so what I did as a young person is like dove headfirst into like trying to excel at school and, and all of those things to, you know, make people proud of me and respect and all of that kind of stuff. And um, I just, it still left things empty. So I shifted from school and said, well, I'll be, uh, I'll dive into sports, right? I'll try to be excellent at sports. And so when everybody else is out playing, doing whatever, I'm, I'm at home practicing, right? I'm doing my drills, I'm doing whatever. And then, you know, when I'm on the soccer field or I'm on the ice, I feel good. But then when it's over, it's like that insecurity is right there gnawing at me, right? It's like right there in my face. So, um, so I kind of gave up on that, and I, I kind of went another route, right? And I just, I just stopped caring. I didn't care about you. I didn't care about me. I didn't care about sports. I didn't care about school. I didn't care about anything. I just kind of gave up, right? And it was like that was the moment when insecurity began to 
overwhelm and, and take over uh, in that moment in my life. But then there was, I, when I look back, I didn't know it at the time, but when I look back, there was a moment when things began to change. And I'll tell you what the moment was. It was when my friend Andy invited me to go to church. That was it, right? We're like teenagers. And, uh, you know, it wasn't anything crazy or remarkable. He was like, oh, hey, you want to go to church? I was like, okay. You know, and like that was the conversation, and I went to church. <laughs> and, and I showed up, right? And so um, church intrigued me because I met people there who just seemed to love um, I met people there who gave very generously. I, I met a group of people there who uh, just seemed to care about me, and there was no real agenda behind that, right? They weren't looking for me to provide or to offer. To get, not that I had much of anything to provide or offer anyways at that time. But for six months, um, I received love from that group of people. For six months, I heard the Bible taught. And on a Thursday night, I, rem- I can literally go back to that moment and tell you everything on that Thursday night when I said yes to Jesus Christ, right? When I said yes to him as my forgiver and my leader, and I began to follow him, though I had no clue what all would come after that, but I knew I needed him, and I said yes to him. And I started to see that my worth was not based on my accomplishments, but rather that my worth had already been set, you know, my, you know what my worth is? The price of the life of God's son. By the way, you're set at that value too, right? And I began to see that overwhelmingly. And Jesus started to transform my desires and my decisions. Uh, the grip that insecurity had on me began to loosen. And I started experiencing freedom like I had never known before, right? And, and not the kind of freedom where I was like, well, I don't care what anybody thinks, you know, actually, I cared very deeply what the Lord thought. And I cared very deeply what you thought about the Lord, right? So it wasn't like this caution to the wind and who gives a rip and I'll do what I want and you got to deal with me type thing. I don't know, maybe I do that now, but, uh, you know, whatever. So, but I started to uh, experience that freedom. And I don't know where you're at, right? Maybe you're looking for freedom. Maybe you're still in the process of determining your worth and what value do I bring? And I want to tell you, somebody be really clear, you will not find the answer to those questions anywhere other than Jesus. You'll find answers, but they'll leave you wanting, right? Same way I was left wanting. And so today what I'd like to do is I'd like to help you see, I'd like to help all of us see how something as simple as faith can actually transform your life. So if you brought a Bible, um, open up to Galatians chapter 2, or you can click over there on your device, kind of about halfway through the New Testament. But Galatians chapter 2 is where we're going to be at today. We're in this series called Reverse the Curse, and we're looking at the first few chapters in the book of Galatians as we lead up to Easter, which is just two Sundays away, by the way. Um, And so we're kind of saying, hey, what exactly is the gospel? How do we cling to that and invite Jesus to transform our lives. So I'm going to read, uh, starting uh, chapter 2, verse 11, from the English Standard Version. You can follow along with the version that you have or on the screen behind me. But uh, it says this. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with them, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. 
But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And he continues talking to Cephas, right? He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild, if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. All right? Now, last week we had seen that the Galatians deserted the true gospel to chase after religion. And so Paul wrote them to remind them of the gospel. And so as we're continuing on in this letter, what Paul did is he lets us see into a moment of conflict between him and the Apostle Peter. Uh, that's, he uses his Jewish name, by the way, Cephas. That's the Apostle Peter you read about in the Gospels. But even in this conflict, what Paul does is he puts forward the true gospel in front of the Galatians. And there is so much right, uh, to say. And so some of you may go, well, well you didn't even talk. Yeah, uh, we don't even have time, right? Like, I want to stay friends with you, right, and not keep you here all afternoon. So I can only share a few things. So if you're like, well, you didn't cover this, sorry, uh, right? Uh, so there's three things I want to pull out here really quick. Here's the first one. Forgetting the gospel leads to hypocrisy. Forgetting the gospel leads to hypocrisy. See, what Paul did is he recounted a time when the apostle Peter or he uses Cephas, uh, came to visit the city of Antioch. And when Peter showed up in Antioch, uh, he's like fellowshipping and eating with these Gentile believers, which is typically a no-no for Jews, okay? Because if you're a Jewish person, everything's about being clean, right? Clean before the Lord so you can worship him. And if you eat a meal with unclean people, you are now unclean, right? Yeah. And Gentiles were unclean, right? They were seen as unclean anyways. So that's how everybody operated. But in Acts chapter 10, you see a moment where God opened up Peter's eyes to see that there are no, there's no clean and unclean anymore, right? Like, and so you can, you can just eat with anybody. And so Peter started doing that. But then later, some legalistic Jews show up in Antioch where Peter is. And after they show up, Peter stopped eating with these Gentiles, right? He pulled back, he drew back. Why? Well, hey, Peter, your insecurity's showing, right? Like, that's, that's what's going on here. He cared, he cared deeply about what these Jews thought of him, 
and he got afraid. And, and, and he started living, right, like he betrayed God's truth. And, and so you see that insecurity really begins to lead to this hypocrisy. And so Paul saw what was going on there in Antioch, right? And he, just, he calls Peter out on his hypocrisy. And so Paul knew what God had shown to Peter about unclean people, but now Peter's acting in opposition to that truth. Right? That's one of the things insecure people do, right? You act in ways that are outside of your character, Right? You betray things that you had held so deeply because your insecurity takes over deeper. That's what's happening here to Peter. And what Paul does, rather than like beating up Peter and like slapping around and telling him to stop it, um, he, goes, he, he gets to the root of it, right? In verse 14, he says, I'm going to tell you why you're facing this hypocrisy and this insecurity, Peter. Here's why. It's in verse 14. It says this. I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Paul says this, hey, Peter, you forgot the gospel. You've forgotten the gospel. That's, that's why insecurity and hypocrisy are creeping in. You forgot the gospel. And so Paul reminded Peter of the gospel. That's the second truth, by the way, right? We need regular reminders of the gospel. You know that? We need regular reminders of the gospel. And last week we used uh, chapter 1, verse 4 to explain the gospel. I'd like to use a, another phrase that uh, Paul uses here in Galatians to help you understand what the gospel is. Uh, this is the gospel. Believers are justified by faith in Christ. That's the gospel. Believers are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And so uh, some of you guys are going, that's That's great. What's justification? <laughs> right? You know, I think that word gets thrown a lot in the church, and we kind of go, yeah, yeah, justification. Um, and we're not entirely sure what all is behind that. And so let me give you just a very quick, simple definition of justification. Uh, justification is actually a legal term that declares um, somebody who's, right, who's guilty uh, or a defendant gets declared not guilty on all charges. Right? That's justification. A defendant is declared not guilty on all charges. Now, when you cross that over into our spiritual, our, our relationship with the Lord, right, our spiritual lives, what you have here is you've got God who describes himself in one place as the righteous judge, right, uh, who knows all of our sin. And, and if, if we're being honest with each other, there's a lot, right, like for every single one of us. But God, the righteous judge, frees us from the guilt and the penalty of our sin through faith in Jesus Christ. That's justification, right? Uh, one way to remember, it's not the best, but it's an easy one, is to think of justification broken down like this, just as if I never sinned. That's justification, right? And so God's declaring us not guilty. Well, Paul repeated this point three times in verse 16 that we're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. He says, we're justified by faith in Christ. We're justified by faith in Jesus. We're justified by believing in Christ Jesus. And he says to Peter, he goes, listen, we're not justified because we were born Jews. We're not justified because of our religious affiliation. We're not justified because of our performance and how well we keep the rules. That's not what justifies us in any way whatsoever. He says the only way that we are declared not guilty for our sin that we committed is through faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So he's like, listen, it's faith in Jesus' perfect life. Did you know that Jesus kept all of the law? 
and he never sinned even once. You know that? That's true about his life. And it's faith in his perfect death. That when Jesus died on the cross, he took on all of the punishment for all of the sin of all of the people for all time. All of it. And it's faith in his perfect resurrection that today Jesus is alive, proving that he has conquered sin and he has conquered death. Right? And so that kind of belief is enough to save you and transform your life. Right? Now, belief includes mental assent. Right, understanding something, but it's more than that. Right, belief is more than that. Belief is a conviction that this thing is real. Belief is relying on this truth and living in a way that depends on God and his leadership. And so Paul is ringing the bell. Right, Believers are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. And we need that reminder often. Why? Why do we need to be reminded of the gospel regularly? I'll tell you why. Because we think we can save ourselves. I think that. You think that. We all think that, right? We all go through these seasons where it's like, I think I can pull this off, right? No, you can't, <laughs> right? Uh, that's Paul's third point. He says, listen, nothing else can save you. Not even the law. Nothing else can save you. Not even the law. See, three times Paul quotes the positive, right? Justified by faith alone. But then three times in the same exact verse, he kind of you know, states the negative, which is this. You cannot be justified by keeping the law. You can be justified by faith in Christ. You can't be justified by keeping the law. Now, the law that Paul is talking about is the Old Testament requirements and the Jewish customs. So these are things like the annual festivals, and every couple times a year you got to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship at the temple, right? Uh, this is like the sacrificial system where if you sin a certain way, you bring a couple doves. If it's really bad, you got to bring the bull. Uh, and so, right, you got to do all of that. Uh, yeah, I was going to say something, but I didn't. I'm growing. Uh, and so, uh, <laughs> sanctification in like real time. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's things like, uh, how many steps are you allowed to take on the Sabbath? Because if you take too many, now you just sinned, right? That, that kind of law, those kinds of Jewish customs. And Paul says this. He says, if, if, if you could keep all of the Old Testament laws. You can't, by the way. But if you could, it still wouldn't be enough to save you from your sin. That's what he's saying here, right? You could keep them all, but you still wouldn't be enough to save you from your sin. Why not? Why not? Well, because you would be relying on your own efforts to save yourself, independent of God. And independence from God is like the irreducible minimum of sin, right? If you pull out the lion and the murder and the whatever and all the other things that it fleshes itself out and you bring it down to that tiny kernel, you know what it is? the desire to be independent from God and doing things on my own. That's the essence of sin, right? Uh, Martin Luther, 16th century monk and you know, kind of seen as the starter of the Reformation, he wrote this, he said this, those who seek to earn the grace of God by their own efforts are trying to please God with sins. Let me say that again, because that is very important to hear. Those who seek to earn the grace of God by their own efforts are trying to please God with sins. See, we think we can use sin to free ourselves from sin, but that always leaves us with our sin. 
right? Paul's saying, you, you can't save yourself. You need God. Jesus died for you in your place because you couldn't do it. You can't pull it off. And so the only real response is to put your faith in him and only him. That's all you can do. And that's what you're called to do. So then it brings us back to where we kind of started, right? It's like, well, when I'm trying to save myself, right? We're all prone to it. When I sense hypocrisy, when I sense insecurity welling up, raising up within my life and I'm seeing it, what do I do? How do I fight back? How do I push back? You, you know what I think Paul would say if he were here and we asked him that question? I think he would say this. Go back to the gospel. Go back to the gospel. You want to fight hypocrisy? You want to fight saving yourself? Go back to the gospel. And specifically, I think he might say it this way. Believe that God has accepted you by faith in Jesus Christ. Believe that. And then go back and believe it again. And then go back and believe it again. And again, and again, and again. Keep going back to that. You have to know that that's our primary work, believing. Do you know that? As Christ followers, our primary work is actually to believe. When Jesus was on earth and doing ministry, there was a group of people who came to him and they said, hey, Jesus, how do we do the works of God, right? Here's the real question they're asking. Like, so when do we get to walk on water and multiply fish sticks and, and, and like the whole water into wine. That was really cool, right? Like, I could throw a lot of parties. Uh, you know, so like, there, that's the real question behind the question, when do we get to do, the, how do we do the works of God? Do you know what Jesus' reply was in John chapter 6, verse 29? I love the way the Amplified Version says it. So I'd like to do this. Let's actually read John 6, 29 uh, out loud. All the words, even the ones in the brackets, starting with Jesus answered. Are you ready? Go. Jesus answered, this is the work of God that you believe, adhere to, trust in, rely on, and have faith in the one whom he has sent. That's your work. That's the work you're called to do. That's the work I'm called to do. And, and it begs the question, right? It's like, well, how do I believe? I actually think John 6, 29 in the Amplified Version is a really great outline. Right? Because it's like, well, how do I believe? Oh, well, you adhere to the gospel and you cling to it. Um, you trust in Jesus for your salvation and forgiveness. You rely on God for every area of your life all of the time. And you have faith that God has accepted you in Christ Jesus. That's how you believe. See, our, I don't, I'm not entirely sure when it happened, but at some point, we bought into this idea that belief is a feeling. That's what our culture and our world teaches. Belief is a feeling. And either you have it or you don't. And it's kind of like, you know, you get this feeling and you can't really, you just, it's like, there it is. I believe now, right? And, and uh, right, but when you look at the Bible, the Bible defines it differently. It's not, but belief isn't a feeling. You know what belief is? It's a decision. That's, that's what belief is. It's a decision. It's a decision that what God says is true. It's a decision that I'm going to trust him. It's a decision that I'm going to follow his way, right? Like, even when, like, especially when his way is different than my way. I'm going to trust him instead of trusting myself. That's, our, but that's work enough, right? When you start to think about that. 
So you guys go, well, that's all of our work. That's enough, right? And, and you, because if you've ever even done that, you know. And, and you can't even do that on your own, right? I can't do that on my own. We need the empowering of the Holy Spirit living within us to help us choose Jesus Christ, to help us right, reshape our desires and our wants and our decisions because we couldn't do it on our own. And so our work is to believe and trust in Jesus. That's our work. So someone might ask the question and go, well, so then all I need is faith. And I don't need to follow the law anymore, right? Is that what you're saying? No. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Paul's not saying that either. Here's what Paul's point was. You can't obey your way into salvation. You can't do it, right? You can't be justified by keeping the law and obeying it. But... Once you have been accepted by God through faith in Jesus Christ, right? Then keeping the law, or, or I think a better way would say, say it this way, living out the character of Christ becomes the natural outflow of a person's life, right? It, it shows that you're in Christ and Christ is in you. Because if you look at the Old Testament and you see all the requirements of the do's and the don'ts, you know who it's pointing to? No, it's Jesus. <laughs> you know, it's Jesus. So the law is really the character of Christ. And so you can't, you can't obey your way into salvation. But once you know you've been accepted by God in Christ, it's like that, that becomes to be the, the tone of your life. Because Jesus died to save you from your sin. He didn't die to save you in your sin and leave you there. You read through the Gospels, you see him say things like this, go and sin no more. You read through letters in the New Testament, Paul says things like this, hey, those of you guys who have put your faith in Jesus Christ... Flee from sexual immorality. If you're a liar, don't lie anymore. If you're a stealer, stop stealing. Right? And instead, hold tight to truth, to purity, to holiness. Right? Following the moral guides of the Bible will not save you. You have to hear that. But once you're saved in Christ, you're accepted by God in Christ, living to please God is normal. Do you see the difference? They're, they're stark from one another. I know some of you guys are going, oh, it feels like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. I promise you I'm not. Um, right? It, but this is exactly why we have to keep going back to the gospel again and again and again. Why? Because we are bent towards self-reliance, which is another way to, to define sin, right? Relying on myself instead of God. Being independent from God, relying on me. See, we've learned sin, we know sin, our bent is towards sin, and what God is doing is he's teaching us a new way to live. That new way is faith, and that new way is trust. And so he's reshaping us for those things. And that takes time. It does, right? A lot of people think, well, you just come to faith, you go down on your knees, you say, I want Jesus, you get up, and it's like, oh, I'll never sin and struggle again, right? By the way, if that's you, I would love to talk to you after the service. <laughs> we have many things to discuss, <laughs> Right? So in, in my household, uh, we have a wooden kitchen table that there's a slight warp in the tabletop. Um, I don't really know how it got there. It doesn't really matter. I mean, I have four kids, so I can take a guess. But, uh, you know, there, but there's this warp in there. And, and I've thought about, okay, if I try to bend back that warp in one move, right, like apply enough pressure to that thing to straighten it out in one shot, you know what's going to happen to that wood? Yeah, it's going to crack. It's going to split, right? 
And so the only way I can actually repair that tabletop is slow adjustments over time, constant pressure in the opposite direction of the warp, right? And so it's constantly being applied in the other direction, and I straighten it out a little over time, and over time what happens is the wood will now accept straight as the new normal. But it takes time, right? That's what gospel transformation looks like through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's this constant, kind pressure from the Lord inviting us to trust him and to rely on him and to reject selfish desires. It's this continual realigning process, uh, coming into alignment with the gospel and going out of alignment with the world. You know, practically, it's things like this. Choosing to forgive, even when I don't feel like forgiving. Well, I don't really think forgiveness is real unless you feel like it's real. No, (laughs) that's not what the Bible says, right? It's things like this. It's praying for strength to resist sexual temptation and trusting God to see you through it. It's trusting what the Bible says over and above what the world says. Uh, The Bible refers to that kind of transformation, by the way. You'll read about it in the New Testament. calls it things like fruit. uses words like sanctification. Um, We just call it spiritual growth, right? That's what that transformation is. And that's normal in the life of a believer. So so when you start seeing hypocrisy and insecurity kind of well up in your life, uh, and when you see it happen in someone else's life, by the way, we have this amazing ability to notice hypocrisy in other people's lives far quicker than we can see it in ourselves, right? Isn't that amazing? God bless that we have one another for that. Um, And so, uh, you know, but we seem to be blind to our own, eagle-eyed to others. And so when you see when you see insecurity, when you see hypocrisy well up, almost always you can trace it back to forgetting the gospel and thinking you need to earn your way. So what happens is hypocrites and insecure people, me, right? When that happens, we have forgotten the gospel. And for others, it's because they never knew it. They've never been exposed to it. Nobody ever really talked to them about it. It was all moral obligation. What we've done is we've forgotten that we're deeply sinful. We're deeply selfish by nature, <laughs> right? We've forgotten that Christ lived and died and resurrected perfectly to set us free from ourselves. <laughs> we've forgotten that the only work we have to do is to believe and rely on Jesus Christ for everything. And so when, when hypocrisy, when insecurity wells up, what do you do? Well, you believe that God has accepted you by faith in Jesus Christ. And then you go back and you believe it again. And you believe it again and again and again and again and again. And you never move away from that until it overwhelms you with joy. And then when it does, you stay there anyway. Now, Jesus told a story about two men who were worshiping and praying to God. One was this uh, really religious, self-righteous guy, and the other was a known thief. Right? Everybody knew it about him. And so the religious guy, um, he kind of stands off by himself, like separating himself from everybody else. And he, and he looks up and he, and he says to the Lord, this is his prayer, he goes, God, thank you that I'm not like other people, especially that trash over there. 
right? I, I fast. I tithe like twice a week. I do really good things. That's where he ended his prayer, by the way. And then Jesus says, the sinner, right, this thief, was far off, and he's so humiliated by his, his own life, it says he actually won't even look up at the sky, because like, that's where God lives, right? So I, I'm not even going to look in that direction. But he looks down, and he's beating himself in the chest, and he says, God, will you show me mercy? Because I'm a sinner. These were Jesus' words. He says this, I tell you, this sinner not the religious guy, returned home justified before God. The religious guy went home with his sin, in his sin, trying to prove to God with sin that he's worthy. But the sinner went home with the verdict, not guilty on all charges. For some of us here today, some of us joining online, your next step is to believe in Christ. Like really believe, like like actually believe. Not just mentally agree. Not not attend church traditionally or or even without missing or or anything. It's, It's time for you to actually stop being in charge of your life and hand over leadership to Jesus Christ as your forgiver and as your leader. Because you know deep in your heart, you want to rely on God anyways. You want to know him. You want to trust him. And the thing that's getting in the way, you know what? You know what will get in your way? You. You. You, you are the only obstacle <laughs> in your own way. It's your desire to be in charge. It's your desire to live life your way. Uh, let, me, let me tell you something. You could get everything you ever wanted, right? Like the big salary and, and the comfy property in the house and the, and the vacation and the traveling and the, and the influence and all the securities and all that kind of stuff. But without God, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have all kinds of stuff and still be miserable just with more things to worry about and maintain, right? Listen, faith in Jesus can change your life. It's like, are you ready? And do you want in? Because the door's wide open, which come through through Christ alone, no other pathway. I want to invite you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. We, we ask this question every weekend. It's a very simple one, but it's profound, right? It's, Jesus, what are you saying to me right now? What are you saying to me through the message? What are you saying to me through the scripture? I want to hear from you. So just take a moment and listen to what Jesus is saying to you. As you're praying and, and as you're listening, I wanted to, to give our church family just a, a quick update. Um, if you were here last weekend, uh, you know that in this service, 
um, we had an exciting moment, uh, <laughs> right? And so uh, we, we had somebody uh, in our church who, who went down during the service. Thankfully, we had so many amazing people move quickly. Uh, everything was handled so well, um, and, and it was a, it, it, God used it in an amazing way. Now, what's really cool is I want to let you know, uh, Andy is doing great. By the way, he's right over here in the front row, and so we're very excited about that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he said the same thing when I saw him at the hospital after the service when I saw him on the ground here. I said, Andy, uh, how are you? And he goes, I'm good. <laughs> and he said the same thing at the ER as well. And I'm glad to know that he's good. And I'm glad to know. By the way, the Stevens know that they've got a family here who loves them deeply. And I hope you know you have a family here who loves you deeply. Same way. But I also want you to know this. this I don't, I'm not quite sure what has been going on, but this week... Um, a lot of people in our church family are going through some very, very challenging things, uh, physically as well as others. Like, like a person in our church had heart surgery this week. Another person uh, went in with, with heart issues. We have somebody who fell, and uh, one person broke their, fractured their hip. Another person I'm hearing has broken their ankles here just recently. Um, just, you know, all of this stuff that's going on, you know, physical things that are happening and taking place. And that's just physical, Right, That doesn't include the, the emotional weight and things that weigh down through all of that. Um, many of us are going through relational turmoil, things at work, chaos in your home and neighborhood and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, oh. That's why we pray together. <laughs> That's why at the end of every single service, we have leaders who are available in the four corners of the room to pray with you about any area of your life. Because it's like, guys, we are going through really significant stuff. And, and scriptures say, God says this, listen, I know what you need before you even know what you need. But I love it when you ask me. So then you know the answer came from me. And it wasn't coincidence. And it wasn't things, well, luckily they worked out. Like, no, God says, I want you to know it's me, your father, giving good gifts to you. That's why I want you to pray. And so here's what we're going to do. The band's going to lead us in one more song. And we're going to have prayer leaders available at every corner of the room. We'll have one up here by the cross. We'll have one over here on my left, your right. One back by the sound booth. One back by the double doors as well. They're going to start heading to those areas. And if you need to pray about any area of your life, I want to invite you to come. Right? Don't wait. It's okay if there's like a person waiting or, or whatever. Just jump in line and, and you'll be the next one to pray with. Right? It's okay. So I'm going to invite you to pray. Um, I want to pray for you, and I'm going to invite you as well. So let me do that. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw every single person who needs prayer, no matter the need, and no matter what, whatever level of faith they think they have or they don't have, I pray that you would draw them right now in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.